1: plushcare.com slash weight loss.
0: Welcome to Wood Talk, for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who put the fine in fine woodworking. Mark, Matt, and Shannon.
1: All right, it's Wood Talk number 252 for June 20, not 21st, it's the 22nd. Isn't yeah, it? what are you doing? You're a day off. What's No wonder this show is
2: so late getting started. Jeez,
1: June 22nd, 2015. It's a surprise we all even made it here. Uh, on today's show, we're talking about finishing oily woods, when to mill rough lumber, and when to reflatten sharpening stones. All that and more coming up, but first, let's thank a couple folks, well actually just one person who helped us out by giving us a donation over at woodtalkshow.com. That's Carl Stanaway. Thank you so much, Carl. And If you want to help out too, you can. Just go to woodtalkshow.com, look in the right-hand column, and you'll see some donation links. For a one-time or small recurring donations, whatever you want to do, we always appreciate it. You can also while you're there, go to woodtalkshow.com slash giveaway and enter to win some free stuff from the Wood Talk guys. I believe we'll be picking a winner there very soon as the month approaches uh, the end End, and then we'll start a whole new one come July so uh, hopefully good luck you'll win that'll be cool
2: yeah I hope you win you listen to this right now you not not you 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 G- The hair yeah the hair and the just to ones. be just to be clear you the one listening to the show right now I hope it's you
1: all right let's move into what's on the bench uh, you know what not a lot for me guys I'm not going to dwell on it video editing that's all I've been doing uh, the the chair project is done and I just had a whole bucket load of uh, footage that needed to be edited down and that's all I've been working on and it's very boring to talk about so well,
3: <laughs> how many I, I'm curious because I just listened to last week's show uh-huh. it's it a very good show well thank and, you um, you're welcome it probably because I wasn't there <laughs> how many how many coats did you end up going with on the tried and true stuff
1: I'm at about a total of about six at this point so I, there's oh. two different formulas so I use three of one and then three of the one with the wax so you know and I, you're you're done now uh, uh, coats on maybe it's, <laughs> it's see the thing is it's going to it's a long time before I have to put the finishing video out so I might drag my feet a little bit and put a few more coats I mean those oil finishes if you can if you actually have the luxury of time to just like wait a couple days put a coat on wait a couple days put a coat on it's actually better off <laughs> doing that so we'll see uh, but yeah probably total of maybe eight coats when I'm all when it's all said and done
3: nice
1: yeah we'll see I mean that's the thing it's just oil and I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of just plain old oil finishes. I do like there to be some level of film on a surface. So this is a first for me to just go this route and really, truly stick with it and not pull out the armor seal or the wipe on poly <laughs> uh, and just kind of sneak a coat on. It's
2: super secret bonus episode that you have to pay a lot of money to see <laughs>
3: is, is
1: there, Mark
2: secretly putting armor
3: seal. Right,
1: here's an update on the finish polyurethane. So yeah, <laughs> right. we'll see how that goes. You're,
3: you're applying that the the patented David Marks quote tongue oil
1: finish. <laughs> the tongue, yes. Quote unquote tongue oil finish. Yeah. So that's about it at this point. So Shannon, what about you?
3: Um, I hate to be boring, but it's kind of the same thing. Obviously I wasn't here last week. I was over in Austria mm-hmm. with my, <clears throat> my wife's trip to follow Mozart around. Did and, you have a shrimp you know, on the Barbie? <laughs> you know, what's funny is there's this whole like marketing campaign about um, Austria and there's like t-shirts and coffee mugs and everything saying mm-hmm. we don't have kangaroos here. So <laughs> I listened to that and I, I about milk about came out of my nose because like that's like so true. Apparently enough people must think there are kangaroos in Austria. I think their slogan
1: that, should be like Austria. We're taking it back. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I actually took a picture of one and
3: sent it to one of my hand tool school members in Australia. I was like, look, <laughs> they don't have kangaroos in Austria.
2: Did you know that? So oh, well, yeah, could be. The other one could be, sorry, we, we had the Terminator here.
3: Yeah. Well, it was, <laughs> was kind of disappointing because we went there specifically to follow
2: Mozart around. And did you know that he died? He wasn't there. What? Well, I was wondering about that. Yeah, I mean, you we guys went are, all the
3: way there to meet him and he's, he's dead. That's
2: false that's advertising. Like he, trying to like, you know, make Sam really happy by waiting for the next Led Zeppelin concert to come out. And I'm like, when are those guys going to go on tour again, I need to make my wife happy.
3: <laughs> nice. Well, and then uh, we came back early yesterday and uh, we actually adopted a new dog. So cool. there is is well, you know, Mark, you you can relate to this um, mm-hmm. in some respect because you had a puppy recently. And actually, you've got a little one and we're having another little one that cannot be left alone for a second. So I'm not going to try to compare a puppy to a
1: little kid. Please but- do. People love that.
2: Yeah, right. yeah. It, <laughs> yeah, it's
3: one of those things they where
1: they
2: face. They tend to go potty in places they're not supposed to. They yeah.
3: <laughs> so it, it's it's well, I mean, not to be a downer, but you know, I lost Alex uh, almost two weeks ago, two weeks ago tomorrow. <laughs> so, and, sorry. You're yeah.
2: so sorry. Still so sorry. That was that was shock, that was pretty shocking.
1: It, it, it was. It was. It was. The it thing was is, a like Alex, ordeal. Alex comes up on the show all the time. You know, just because right. he's usually with you when we're podcasting. So I feel like, you know, right. he's a member of, of our sort of extended family here as well. He, so
2: He's the quiet co-host. He's the one that people wish I was.
1: But until the UPS guy comes. Right. <laughs> then he's not real quiet.
3: But, you know, and and that was the thing is I, I posted some things in the Hanto School because he's basically been the unofficial mascot over there. And there's, a I mean, the outpouring of support was just incredible. I mean, it was a, a total shock. And we had really, we knew we were going to get another dog. We had started talking about getting another dog while we still had Alex. And um, it was just one of those things. We were kind of at a particular. It comes and goes, you know. You, having a vacation was the best thing we ever could have done. But still, you'd be sitting there in kind of a quiet moment. You start thinking about the dog, and oh god, you start to well up. And it was one of those dark moments in Vienna. And we literally like pulled up the internet and started searching for rescue agencies. <sighs> there, you and go. there it was, you know. So we, I, I was called the the lady. She's like, yeah, we could do a meet and greet tomorrow because apparently we have a really attractive dog adoption application based on the fact that our last two have been rescues. Um, so they called like right away and she's like, we don't need to do a meet and greet. And I'm like, well um, I'm in Austria right now. <laughs> He's like, what you mean where there's kangaroos?
1: And, uh, <laughs> so
3: it was like, well, call us when you get back in the country. So literally I met baggage claim in Philadelphia airport <laughs> calling you want to meet tomorrow. So yeah, one thing led to another. We've got a, a little ten-week-old black lab, kind of we—they say black lab border collie, but I mean who knows at this point? He's just a little tiny ball of fluff. So yeah,
1: you know his fur is not just... going to hide the dust as well as Alex's. No. Well, see that's just it. <laughs> before Alex, we had a black lab. <laughs> oh <you know>? okay.
3: <laughs> so we we wore dark clothing all the time. Yeah. You know we brought in dark drapes and then we brought Alex in and we were kind of screwed for a while because we had a yellow dog and a black dog at the same time. So yeah. then we switched over New to light clothes. So now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, especially on our like, uh, white oak flooring in the house. Yeah, it's going to be terrible. Nice, nice. From a woodworking perspective, and I just posted on Facebook today, um, my, one of my next projects is going to be some sort of memorial urn for Alex. And I'm kind of struggling with that. I mean, for obvious reasons, I'm struggling with it. But it's one of those things where it means like so much to me now, mm-hmm. but 15 years from now. You know, do I want this like really showy, like big, really designed piece? I mean, part of me is thinking like, you know, oak box with dovetails, you know, something understated that means a hell of a lot to my wife and I. Yeah, but like, what do you do with it? You know, do you you, you put it on a bookshelf? Do you? I don't know. I'm, so I'm. It's it's interesting because and somebody on Facebook brought up the fact that we as woodworkers always like to kind of design our stuff for the next generation and beyond. You know, we want it to be durable. Well, you know, once. Heather and I pass on. Is anybody even going to care about this box with the ashes of a dog that no one ever knew? So it's, it's, it's weird to kind of think about. Uh, obviously, I've got to think about the near term and memorialize him with it, but
1: I don't know. Um, well, especially first- if you design it so that it's it's something that is a showpiece. It looks really nice, right? Unless you label it like you know Alex's ashes so, right. like, if so if you don't tell people about it someone is going to take that thing after you guys die and, and they're going to be right. like what is in here Oh, oh they were horrible housekeepers <laughs> oh, we're dump this down the disposal yeah, yeah. I mean but I, see I made a little box like that for my mom's uh, dog years ago um, little willie And he is in this beautiful, just Asian-inspired box. It looks like a little hut on stilts. I mean, it's really cool looking. She just keeps it in the dining room, and only she really knows what it is. Everyone else just thinks it's a decorative box.
3: And and I've built them before. I even built a little tonsu for somebody, specifically for two golden retrievers. But, Mm -hmm. you know, you then pass it off to the person. You don't really know what they do with it. So. I don't know. I've got to think long and hard about that. It's going to be at least a couple of weeks before I can even get started on it. But the good thing is,
1: it can be small, though. You know, it's something that can sit on a mantle or a table somewhere. It doesn't have to be a big
3: thing yeah except that heather wants to put some other stuff in there like his leash and his collar and his favorite toy and yeah. oh, well know, now she's complicating toy. things well yeah his favorite toy was um one of those like long skinny we call it a loofah dog it's mm-hmm. like 36 inches long <laughs> so Perfect. it's like okay we can like coil it up but still but you could have a really long base
2: in. with a hidden drawer in it and with a little <laughs> button on the side you know and that way no other you no know, one after him can find it
3: yeah nice so that's the next project i've got a figure out what I'm going
2: to do there.
1: Well, that sounds good. Well, you know what? Alex will be missed even by those of us who never actually met him and uh, uh, wish you guys the best with the new one. Yes,
2: absolutely.
1: Cool. What about you, Matt?
2: (laughs) I don't know if I can bring this show up now. It's pretty bad. (laughs) Bring it back up. (laughs) Yeah,
3: not to be the buzzkill there. I should have announced the new puppy after that.
2: Yeah, there you go. Actually, it is something my wife and I have for uh, our cat when he passed away. That's that's one of the things Sam's like, you're going to do this. I'm like, I'm going to wait till Shannon does it. Now that I've heard you're going to do this. I didn't say that at the time, I'm going to, but now I'm going to wait to see what you do. <laughs> so anyways, now that I've done that, uh, for me, the big thing this weekend, uh, a number of things I did. But the big one for me is uh, I am one of the lucky recipients of the X-Carve. Although while I was assembling it, I was wondering how lucky I actually was because I would like to emphasize the part where I had mentioned before. It's a lot of assembly, a lot of electronics. <laughs> and Matt is not good with reading directions that include complicated things like using a soldering iron so so the whole was, time you're just going, lucky me, lucky yeah, me. it pretty much wasn't like, oh, 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 <laughs> lucky me. Oh, I started. So I did have a moment where it would, finally everything was assembled. I went through and I'm like, it looks all good. I only burnt the circuit board two or three times. I hope this doesn't mess it up. Uh, and then I went to fire it up and I had a little bit of an issue. It turns out there's a little neat little thing with like the, I know I'm going to get this wrong, the Arduino where mm-hmm. it attached to the circuit board and the way that they have it sitting inside there. Sometimes the connections don't quite connect all the way. So after – uh, we'll say some frantic searching I finally discovered uh, in an obscure location that that actually could happen. And so I undid it, I put it together, and I had it sit into the little box it's supposed to, and it fired right up, and I'm like, oh, my lord, I have a CNC, and then I proceeded to break uh, one of my bits already. <laughs> that nice. Boy, so, yeah. <laughs> See, personally,
3: yeah. whenever I have Arduino, I always add it over a little bit of coffee, and it, it really flavors it nicely. Mm,
2: well, I wasn't sure whether yeah, to that. serve it with vinegar because I kept thinking Mark would like this.
3: That's uh, true. I would. It's true, indeed. See, th- this is this is interesting to me because it, it makes you wonder how this idea of sending something in parts, in other words, because they're really cost effective, you know, because there isn't all that factory work to be done mm-hmm. makes you wonder how that could be applied elsewhere like you know yeah. can, can someone buy a really really cheap mac just because it comes in parts you know i mean and, and you think about the manufacturer there's no warranty required because they didn't put it together so you know it's basically wash their hands of it ship out a box full of parts and and,
1: and you're good to go i just well, wonder it's it, uh, it's like clear view cyclones I mean, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, yes. Good point. I yeah, mean, that's point. one manufacturer, similar thing, but it's all. I mean, granted, they're controlling every aspect of it, and you have something. Well, I mean, that's it. Sounds just like what XCarve's is doing then. Uh, but mm-hmm. there yeah. definitely is a DIY element to it that not everybody wants to do, but certainly yeah, can me save me you wonder, money.
3: Is this a is this a sign of things to come? Will we see? Still a nice machine, but it's much cheaper because the manufacturer says, "Here you go." <laughs> but here you know, I would hope Lego so bags. I mean,
1: especially at a time when a lot of people are really getting into tinkering and you know making as a, as a new thing, you know, like they, they aren't afraid to solder a couple wires together and if they oh, can I save it, you know and they're also <laughs> matt. Is, and they're also on a budget in most cases. So being able See? to get these high level tools at a lower cost just by doing a little labor sounds like a, yeah. a win-win. See, I'm with me. I'm the, with the you, one- Matt.
3: When somebody says Raspberry Pi, I
2: grab a fork and knife. So.
1: Yeah. yeah. And yes, like, please. I well,
2: uh, Don't know if it's. Yeah, I don't care if the electric cord is hasn't even been unpacked yet. Somehow I'm going to shock myself. I will say <laughs> one thing for certain. While building this, and I, I have I've got a couple of things that I'm I'm already I want to play with a, a real simple project that I want to do, and then I need to have somebody help me with a larger one because I'm having a little trouble. Uh, this is my own thing again. Don't like following certain instructions because Matt can't always read very well at certain times. Just kidding. Uh, but I, I need I want. Some Somebody to help me with a more complicated project so I can get it the right way. The big thing, though, the take-home message for me on something like this is I am willing to pay extra to have somebody else assemble it for me so I can just get right into it. This reminds me over and over that if other manufacturers, like we were just talking about, were to do something like this where they send you the parts and, and build it, I still would be the person that's like, yeah, so your floor model. You said that's <laughs> available, right? Because... I'm happy to take that off your hands since you've already assembled
1: it. So you're saying there's it, a little, that, there's a little too rem- much why in your DIY. Uh, <laughs> right. yes, it's,
3: it's exactly <laughs> what it is.
1: <laughs> I'll that's do it. it. <laughs> well,
3: that's more of a do it, do it for me. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Well, didn't now that I think about it, didn't um, uh, what's the company out in Portland, uh, Bridge City, Bridge Are City you? Tools? Didn't they do that with the Joint Maker Pro at one point? Like mm, I. I I don't remember. They, they have uh, an option where it'll become a symbol, then it's like $500 more. Um And then there's the one that basically comes in parts. Because I remember when it first came out, I was really pretty psyched about it. And then I admit to being somewhat daunted when I saw, like, the instruction tome that came <laughs> with it. It's <laughs> like, whoa, I got to be uh, – I don't want to be a symbol in
2: this thing. So I've, it seems to be a thing. Well, it's like I your saw. Frame saw. Um, No. <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll buy it off you for the semester <laughs> you
1: know I'm really That's interested true. to see what people start doing with the X carve it seems like a they're basically flooding YouTube with it but them, mm-hmm. I say they as in the people behind X carve what is it in- instructables is it yes or, okay. yep so uh, you know they're oh, flooding. no no no, no inventables is? inventables
2: Instructables. Instructables is the uh, website. I do that all the time. I'm like, I need to go and check out a part that they have. Why am I getting DIY on how to make a macrame uh, uh, shirt? That Oh, <laughs> wrong website. Or, right. or Uncrustables.
3: Uncrustables. Kind of ah, oh, yes.
1: yes. Nicole used to buy those and I'm like, are you seriously buying peanut butter okay. and jelly sandwiches that are like in these little pre-made pouches? That's ridiculous. It's re- like
2: those hot dogs that are like individually packaged because apparently there's dads out there that don't know how to just simply take one out of the package and throw it in the like microwave
1: and <laughs> ziploc bag the others. Right. This is a problem, people. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of videos out there about, you know, sort of an assembly of the X carve and doing a very basic sign, all the, the like a simple thing. I, I really can't wait to see people get into more complex projects and show what yeah. you can really do Let's with this. push with, it and see what you can do. Yeah, with here. customization on it. So um, yeah. And yeah, that's, that's
2: exactly what I, I, I'm at that point I want to do one little quick thing, kind of show it off just real quick or show off what I can almost do. And then I, I have something in my mind. But again, I'm going to need somebody to help me through that, that learning curve real quick. And once they show me, I'm going to be like, get out of my way. I'm going to mess this up. <laughs>
3: I've got some really cool pictures from a, a cathedral in Salzburg that I'll send you, Matt. That'll give you some inspiration. Cool. They used a CNC on it? Yeah. <laughs> nice. nice. It's, called, <laughs> it's called Charles, Nicholas, and, and uh, I lost it. Damn. Could All right. Joke. Well,
1: <laughs> yeah. The three stone carvers, those guys. I don't know who Chuck, they are. Nicholas, and Chuck. Those guys. Okay. All right. Let's yeah, move okay, into awesome. Uh, <laughs> hey, let's move into what's new. <laughs> Moving to what's new. I uh, got a couple videos and other links to share with you here. The first one is a video I found on how to make your own meat cleaver from John Heis. Is that how you pronounce that? H-E-I-Z-S-Z? What's for me. Heis. Works for me.
2: Sure. You know, you always ask, is that how you pronounce it? And I'm always going to say. Works for me. It's a
1: classic question from Mark. Is that how you do it? Yep, works for me. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, great video on using um, an old beat-up saw blade and turning it into a meat cleaver. I mean, it's really one of the coolest things I've seen in a while, so uh, in good use for something that might otherwise just be thrown into the garbage. Uh, and you know what? As someone who makes a lot of barbecue and, and often has to use a meat cleaver, I like seeing something like this. I hope it has enough heft in it, you know, to give it the weight that a meat cleaver needs. Uh, but it looks pretty cool. A lot of, a lot of fun with that project. I thought
2: you were going to say you need the meat cleaver to fight off the people that want the barbecue. <laughs> that, it's so delicious. <laughs> Get away. I'm going to use my homemade meat cleaver on you. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, hey, we have this next one that came in from David. He says, hey, guys, I just found this video and I thought it was really, really cool. So, um, oh, my gosh, which video is this? Because I thought it was really cool, too. Really, I, maybe, really not, cool. maybe that's not the one I'm thinking of. And this, It's the tin pan guitar one.
1: No, no. that's my other no. one. Hold on, I'll, I'll, I'll look at it right now. We might oh, have to wow, hear it. Do you know what happened?
2: I looked at the Tin Pan guitar one, and then I came back and said, this must be the right one.
1: It's a <laughs> so, Building Without Nails, the Genius of Japanese Carpentry, China oh. Uncensored.
2: Yes, yes. Okay, definitely. This is one of those, if you really like uh, the, the beautiful all wood joinery, for certain, this is a video that you want to check. I think we, we've definitely seen multiple ones. Didn't we already link like to this? this?
1: That's what it's the
3: same guy,
2: um, but I think it's a different video.
1: By the way, builder nail, you gotta watch this video. In the beginning, there is a guy. I don't know who he is, but he is doing. I'm sure he's a you know he's a professional doing this thing, but he looks like someone on SNL doing a newscaster impression. Like, do the eyebrow raise now. Make sure you tilt your head just so your your body is three degrees to the right. It looks like the best impression of a newscaster I've ever You're seen. You're
3: right. You're right. Because I remember looking at this and I wasn't sure. I if, thought it was um, a joke. Yeah, if David, the guy that sent this to us, was mm-hmm. like sending us another one of those how to sharpen a pencil videos. <laughs> oh yeah, God, he is, he's doing you never quite know if
1: it's for real. Yeah, you know? it, but it's it's definitely a good video. Definitely worth checking out.
2: Sweet. That's like Will Ferrell and Kristen Wiig doing the Lifetime movie. Is yeah. it real? Yes. <laughs> is it just an extended skit? <laughs> right.
3: All right okay, this uh, next one comes from Dan. He says, they came across a treasure trove today after going down a slight rabbit hole from an article about the Library of Congress. Basically, this is a site. Um, it's, it's a back archive of woodworking books, and articles and stuff from several centuries worth of of data here. And it's all digitized, um, everything from Popular Mechanics to General Woodworking Magazine to um, the Irish National Union of Woodworkers. Um, It's just incredible. There's all kinds of stuff in here. um, And we're going to include a link that's basically, what is this, 24 pages of stuff uh 566 results returned on woodworking um and it it's cool there's a lot of i i think what is this he said uh dan said he, he could see christopher schwartz getting lost in these archives this is definitely the type of thing that we would lose chris on hmm. he'd be gone for for weeks
1: and oh, then wow. produce a great book about it right so, <laughs> exactly chris, go do this We'd a like translation to see the you produce a translation everyone else can read right, right. <laughs> nice right. So, looks thanks cool. dan it's a cool rabbit hole Good deal. All right. And uh, speaking of the X-Carve, there's another video by uh channel or dude. I don't know. Some, sometimes it's a dude. Sometimes it's just a channel name, Nighthawk in Light. You guys ever watch that channel? Uh I did when I was watching this video. Yeah, it's pretty good. It, this is a tin pan guitar. And I guess he had done a cigar box guitar in the past. And this is him just showing you make the, the neck this way and he uses a baking pan to be the body of the guitar to provide the resonance. And it goes through the whole build but he uses the X carve uh, to make the um you know the the arm and the the neck of the guitar the neck right. of the guitar. Yeah. I said neck before and I forgot the term. I'm I'm a drummer people, forgive I'm me. I'm using the thing that holds a head up usually. <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> so, uh really awesome and get like just take a listen in the beginning. He played a, I left a comment. I'm like screw the project. I just want to hear this guy play this thing for a, <laughs> a little bit longer. Listen to this. I'm like is this the it sounds cool. like the beginning of justified. <laughs> hey wait a minute. I think that's one of the new soundtracks that's
2: available in uh Final Cut. I'm going to have to look in there now.
1: It's really good. It, and actually it it's really good, it's actually. made with a you know a kitchen item and a piece of wood and some string. It's it's yep. so good. Uh you definitely want to check it out.
2: Now, I am going to say the beginning of it uh the he has a little bit of playing, and then he goes into the assembly of the X-Carve. So if you were to actually speed that down and extend it over several days, that's how I did mine.
1: <laughs> speed it down. All right. Yes. Speed it down. I like that. Yeah, that's a good one. All and right. That a- Let's move into our poll of the week from our good buddy, Tom Iovino at tomsworkbench.com. We don't have a new poll for you this week, but we do have the results of last week's poll, which had to do with Father's Day, uh, sort of a theme there. Did that influence your woodworking? And 41%, almost 42, said he was a handy guy who got me interested in the craft. Uh, next up was 24% said he had no influence whatsoever. <laughs>
2: 18, hey, just you know, telling it like it is. Sounds like what my mom used to say about my biological dad's influence on my growing up.
1: <laughs> right. Uh, 18% said he was a skilled woodworker and showed me the ropes. And about 8% said even though he wasn't a hands-on kind of guy, he encouraged me in uh, doing what I do. And then the dreaded... 8% said something else. Something else. <laughs> Tom always includes something else just in case.
2: I, I've always found including something else is a good way to go when it comes to dinner, when especially when my kids were younger.
1: <laughs> Sounds like every night for dinner with me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we're eating this. Was he eating something else? Something else. Something
2: else. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no. If I had a restaurant, that's exactly what I would call chicken nuggets.
1: Yeah. Some, oh, okay. These, that's a kid's menu. Something else with, with something a side else. of something else.
2: Yes, Yep. And, like, uh, and
1: it comes with a uh, free toy. <laughs> right. It's called a pencil and a paper. All right, let's move into our kickback. i got two uh, voicemail kickbacks for you here, and the first one is from Jason concerning widening dados, which was a question that Matt addressed in our one of our last episodes.
0: Yeah, this is Jason from Cincinnati, Ohio. I just wanted to kind of chime in on the widening of the dado for the guy making the shoe rack. Um, the first thing I thought of right before... Um, it was brought up was actually if the bottom side of the piece that's going in there isn't important, just run through the planer and take a 16th off so that it'll fit in your dado. If it is important, the second thing I thought was, uh, if my math serves me correctly, a 16th is smaller than an 8th, and an 8th is about the average size of a circular saw blade. So if you're lucky enough to have uh, a guide... I'm drawing a blank here on the uh, the Festool brand, but the, uh, the circular saw that has the, the track saw, um, or if you make your own out of a couple pieces of MDF, um, mark a couple 16-inch or 1 16-inch lines over, set up your guide, and just run your circular saw down to make them a little wider. If it has to be exactly in the middle, then you have to do both sides at a 32nd. But I thought that might be a little faster, a little easier, especially if it's the side panels. You could lay them both flat. Mark a couple lines and do it in one pass. I hope that helps. Love the show and uh, keep it up. Thanks.
1: All right. Thanks for that, Jason. And we've got another one that's uh, completely unrelated f- quite a few episodes ago from. I just, I have
3: to add before you go on. To oh, that, sure, sure. That I go really appreciated in that episode how you guys both gave different perspectives. And then you finally came back to the, something that I would have suggested as being the best method. I didn't even have to be there.
2: Yeah, we were trying our hardest to channel you. I said, well, Shannon's <laughs> six hours ahead of us. He already knows what the qu- the question right. and answer is. So. I was sending
1: it to you psychically. <laughs> it's so it's all WWSD that. for me. <laughs> what would Shannon do? All right, and uh, this one, you guys might get a kick out of this one.
0: Hi, this is Britt calling from Duluth, Minnesota. Uh, just giving you a quick feedback on episode 240. Yes, I know, I'm behind. Uh, from watching my Netflix documentary on Lego, I just want to mention that the plural of Lego is Lego. So just a little feedback and guys take care and keep building.
1: This is a pet peeve of mine and people are going to get annoyed with me on this because my stance on this is very similar to my stance on the convention for length width, thickness in the industry, (laughs) which is completely unreasonable and possibly not even remotely correct, but that's just how I roll. Uh, This is one of those things. Brands have like plurality issues, Right, Because it's a brand name. So a lot of times when you want to say things in the plural, just adding an S to it might not be what they want you to do. So there, I don't think that there really is a standard for how you handle uh, the plural of a brand. And I think the company prefers you don't do that because when you sort of do a plural version of a brand, it can kind of, in the long term, especially for a big company like that, uh, can dilute the brand to some extent and everything just becomes Legos, Legos versus the specifics of Lego bricks or Lego kits. And uh, for me, it will always be Legos. I will intentionally do it to annoy people who insist that it is not Legos, that it's uh, what the company wants it to be with no S. And I think it's funny to watch people actually get upset about it. So I le- do the same thing with shepherds and sheep. I'm like, hey, where's your <laughs> sheep's? <laughs> right. So uh, I'm gonna go play with some Legos when we're done here. That just,
3: yeah, that just sounds wrong to say I'm gonna go play with Lego. It sounds stupid. It makes you sound like you're really poor.
1: <laughs> I I just got a giant. I'm just to play with. I you have the one, one the Lego one, brick. <laughs> the one. So what what brick. do you build with it? Well, I I build a Lego brick with it. Oh, I think <laughs>
2: you're confusing it. If you have just one big Lego brick, you must be talking about Duplo. <laughs>
1: Yes. Duplo. Uh, so yeah, it's just, a, it's a pet peeve of mine, Brit. And I, I know that's actually the case. I've been, people have told me about it before and I've seen other people like really get uptight about it. And that is hilarious to me. Just like uh, grammar, grammar police on Facebook. That's hilarious you
2: know, to me too. A couple of years ago when we sold all of Aiden's Legos, uh, we, uh, <laughs> when I sent the email to the just, the- just say that, just
3: say, we sold all of Aiden's Lego. It just sounds wrong. It does. Yeah, it it does. does. It does
2: sound wrong. That's, that's
3: why I'm, I'm I don't say that way. I sent a big box
2: of Lego, which we did. We sent a big box of Legos and they, they went and the, the company that was buying it from us, it was a reseller online, had no problem with the S being there. There you go. And I take it from them because they're experts.
1: End of story. That's, uh, that's how it's going to be, folks. Uh, all right, Matt, how about you get that? And I guess it's our last one here.
2: Yeah. OK, so this is kind of a long one here. This came from Kalloon and uh, Kalloon says in Wood Talk 251, you guys mentioned during the joint confession that you don't watch many woodworking videos yourself. I find the same to be true for myself with today's flood of online media on par with flash flood drowning. Ah, well, I didn't want to put it that way, but there have been moments that when I've opened my my YouTube uh, folder, I'm like, oh, my Lord, delete.
1: It's all over uh, my face.
2: <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what? Oh, uh, when I first started woodworking, <laughs> I wanted to soak in as much media as possible, and made an effort to watch anything that came out, likely from a certain Mark Spagnolo and mm-hmm. Matt S- Vanderlist. You're very welcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, I suspect I hit a saturation point where there isn't any. Uh, quote-unquote significant new things that I can learn from online content and I've lost much of the interest in online woodworking material as I'd rather mm-hmm. devote my time to doing woodworking rather than watching, such as learning how to mill boards as for us with hand tools. Wink, wink, Mark. Whatever. That's a wink, wink from Whatever. Um, I, I mean, I already know. I, I do that too, anyways. <laughs> so... I also like to look back for any lesson learned to think forward. I forget if it was fine woodworking or popular woodworking who said that if anything hadn't been published in the last three years, it was fair game to republish it in the next edition. So a question or food for thought, do you think that the content coming out today is starting to seem like more of a rehash of stuff that you say one of you or the three of you have covered a few years ago? Uh, Is there anything new for the hobbyist or amateur or moderately experienced woodworker that have soaked in this four one one? 411 before, or perhaps will online woodworking follow the same ebb and flows of woodworking magazines, uh, which was also something he pointed out that, our Kalun pointed out that we con- uh, mentioned in Wood Talk 247. So I think before we get ourselves dug in a hole here, because I'm sure we'll get a, we could get some kickback on this one if we went too far. We did already kind of mention before that there is a finite number of topics and people are going to cover all of these topics so i think we could we could pretty much leave it at that versus potentially one of us probably me more than likely mark putting their foot in their mouth and saying something that would offend somebody
1: <laughs> me anger people with something stupid i said never oh come on
2: legos lego i know right you
3: never <laughs> know what the truth of be. the matter is is that we could say that they're reha that people are rehashing stuff that we've done or We'll just say our generation of online content producers. And the people that came before us are saying that we're rehashing what they did. So, you know, it's yep. it's the really
2: same matter. thing. as like the music industry. We talked about this before we went on the air. It's like the music industry. What I say to my kids, that's an old song. They're just redoing <laughs> it. And my kids go, whatever.
1: Well, I think the other thing is a lot of people want to hear their perspectives from like their favorite woodworkers. So, yeah. you know, he in his write up here, he uses Matt Cremona as an example of doing some things that he knows he's seen you know us cover videos on but when I covered them other people had already done it in other venues you know so it wasn't like I was making this stuff up for the first time people wanted to hear my thoughts on it just like fans of Matt's will want to hear and Matt Cremona specifically will want to hear his thoughts on scraper sharpening and all these things because everyone kind of has a slightly different take and even if it's not that different they just want to hear the presentation by that person and I'll tell you what even in our own content While I don't have the energy to do this, don't you guys think, and you could see why the magazines do it, don't you think that you would get more traffic, more views, and more attention if, let's say you did a video, something you did in your first couple of years, don't you, aren't you at least a little bit tempted to rehash that topic again so that it comes back up at the top of your list? Yeah, that way I could
2: delete the old one and not be embarrassed by it. (laughs) Right.
3: That's exactly what I I was thinking.
2: I thought about doing that like that flashback, just like, this is my opinion then, this is how it's similar but this is how it's evolved
1: yeah so even in my own library of content it's so hard to let people know oh this video i made seven years ago is still valuable go watch it well that's not how online content works the archive stuff is always given you know well not always but most of the time is harder to find than the newest stuff so the temptation there is certainly to to continue repeating ourselves just like the magazines did uh, and I do want to say for, you know, as far as originality of, of content, like to say that there's really nothing new out there, in terms of like classic woodworking techniques, yeah, I might agree with them. It's, it's hard for anyone to come up with anything totally new in that arena. Uh, but that said, a lot of these new folks are coming up with really new and creative, interesting ways to make new, interesting things. That right. you would mm-hmm. not have seen covered in traditional woodworking magazines and things like that. Um, so, you know, you got to give credit where it's due. There's a lot of creative people out there making content and combining elements that might not have found their way into like a traditional woodworking magazine, let's say.
2: Well, well one thing I think is important and you kind of you, you kind of hit on it just a little bit there is the fact that we've always talked about this. Like one of the things is you need to find somebody who their voice resonates with what you you like to – uh, the way that you learn the way that you the you can yeah. uh, take in the the information you like to find somebody that's that's for the lack of a better description, like yourself. So that's the beauty of all this content that's out there right now is there are all these voices and it's really easy for you to find the person that you can relate to and Mm -hmm. you can learn from because I'm sure there are plenty of people and I know because we've heard from them that are like, I like what you do, but I don't like this part about you. And
3: it's like, oh, well,
1: thanks for letting me know about that part. Sorry, that's my face. I can't do anything about it. Yeah, exactly. Something
3: about your face, man. I just want to put my fist through.
1: Like the uh, guy who got mad at me because I don't share shave and he said, I'm going to unsubscribe to your channel because you are never clean shaven. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> probably a good idea because I never will. Be. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I, I think
3: that to take an opposite point of view on this, I think that we need to have some sort of international committee that decides when it's time to stop covering certain topics. <laughs> you think? Can, can we stop talking about workbenches now, please? <laughs> the, the number of requests I get to do a workbench build, it's like, well, you saw that I like built the joinery bench and the hand tool school. And a Are Rubo you trying bench.
1: to put Schwarz out of work? I guess, yeah, but even he doesn't <laughs> talk about work benches anymore. And now he's moved on. <laughs> yeah.
3: So I think there needs to be, you know, it's always going to be rehashed, but there needs to be some sort of moratorium on certain topics. You know, it's been done to death. You can't redo it anymore. doesn't matter what your opinion is or your personality is. It's been done. I don't well, know. So we get the
1: Illuminati to step
2: in for us and remove that.
1: There <laughs> we go. I guess it will be nice. But at the same time, it is still nice to have fresh perspectives on things, you know, people no, just take, taking is. a different, uh, a different view on it and maybe just something that like, like Matt said, it's like you, you want to learn from your favorite teacher. So yeah, I can learn this topic from that teacher over there, but he's a jerk. So could you show me how to do it? Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, there's, there's been many a times that
2: I've watched something and gone, finally, somebody I can understand. This is awesome.
1: <laughs> right. All right. Let's move into our email. And the first one here is from Dan. It's a question about uh, finishing Babinga, I think. Yeah, there it is. I'm currently working with Babinga for the first time. I've heard that it can be problematic when finishing due to its oily nature. I plan on using shellac. I would appreciate any tips you guys can give me on getting a good finish. All right, well, the answer to this question is in the question. He's using, using shellac as a finish. I don't think that that's going to be problematic at all. Generally, if you have an oily, exotic, you want some sort of evaporative finish. Uh, shellac and lacquer typically will have a very little problem on the surface. And If you want to use an oil-based finish, which is the type of finish that can be a problem on these oily woods, if you give it a coat of shellac first, a lot of times that will give you that barrier that allows you to then put your polyurethane or whatever you want oil-based on top. Uh, you do run into an issue if you want to use things that have raw oil in them or a Danish oil that has a strong oil content that needs to absorb. Well, if you seal the oil in, you're also preventing other oils from getting in through that sealed layer, right? So you have to be careful what type of oil finish, uh, oil-based finish you use, but certainly varnishes and polyurethanes. If you put the shellac on first, you should really have no problem. Uh, Now that said, I have never really experienced bubinga as a extremely oily wood. I've finished it with all types oh, really? of yeah, I've done all types of oil based finishes from raw oils to uh, to varnishes, and I've just never had any problems with drying on that, so it could just be a particular cut uh, I've had that happen with purple heart as well where I've just haven't had issues, but other people say purple heart can be oily, so I guess it could just be the cut or maybe the time of year it was harvested i don't I don't know there could be other factors that I'm not accounting for, but it's never been a problem for me, so my suggestion would be to to test it on some scraps first. Um, mill up some so just a board and test it out with your finish see if it cures within a day and if it does you're good to go oh well and he's using shellac anyway so it probably doesn't matter uh, right. because that's the you know the, what you would use to fix the problem in the first place nice yeah. okay I'm sounds done. good
3: alright this one comes in from John he says I'm just getting into woodworking and I have about 50 board feet of white oak and we will definitely buy more species to play around with soon my question is, how do you deal with rough lumber? Does it get milled as soon as it enters the shop and then get out on a shelf if it doesn't get used? Or do boards only get milled when they are needed for a part or project? This was uh, this question was a little <clears throat> shocking to me. Um, and I started, uh, I, I asked a, around a couple of people, and this is actually a perception that some people have. That bring in the lumber, go ahead and mill it all, whatever S2S at least, and then set it on a rack until you need it. That to me is really scary. Mm -hmm. Um, A, you know, once you mill it, you're removing material that you can't put back on. Um, And say you don't get around to using that board for eight months or eight years or 80 years. You know, it's going to move around on you a bunch uh, in that intervening time. And now suddenly you've got to mill it again to get it flat. Now you've gone from a 7 8 inch board down to you know a three-quarter inch board or five-eighths inch board, and it may not work for you. Second of all, um, when it comes to actually conserving your wood, I find the best thing to do before you actually start running something through a planer or or, or whatever is to actually cut it down closer to size. Um, The fastest way to flatten a board, in my opinion, is with a saw, whether it's power saw, handsaw, whatever. If you have a nine foot long board, it's going to have some bow to it. Um, Bow meaning curvature along its length. Um, If you have a wide board, it's probably going to have cup or curvature across the width. And more than likely, they're all going to have twist a little bit. If you are able to cut that nine foot board down into, say, the six foot board you need for maybe a tabletop that's probably going to be a heck of a lot flatter than that full nine foot long board. So if you do a power tool, hand tool, whatever, you're going to have to remove a lot less wood in order to get that flat reference surface. So how do you know what you need it for? If you bring in your rough lumber and it's eight, nine, 10, 12 foot lengths or whatever, and you're milling it at that point, you're going to have no idea what you're going to use that for. So I absolutely wait to mill my lumber actually until the last possible minute. I mean, the way I build is I mill enough for whatever part I'm working on at that time. Um, You know, power tool woodworkers work a little bit different. They'll kind of mill all the wood all at once for the whole project. I, I don't. Um, I grab a board. If I'm making a drawer, I will mill one board for a drawer side. I will cut it into four parts and then move on. You know, and then I'll mill up the boards to make the panel, glue up the panel, and move on to something else. So I keep it in the rough as long as I can, um, and try to once I've started milling it, work through to completed part as quickly as I can because wood's going to keep moving no matter what you do,
2: and you can't put that stuff back on once you've taken it off. That's a bumper sticker right there. Wood's going to keep on moving.
1: Keep on moving. Also, I have a blog I post a, on
2: the McElvane website
3: called Wood Moves, Get Over It. And to this day, it's probably one of the most trafficked posts on our site. So I can't wait to sure, you write it are again. There in three are there years. questions
2: that are like, but are you sure?
3: <laughs> yes, there are actually. <laughs> nice.
2: Yeah. You know, I will say when this question came in, that was one of the things I thought about it was early on in my, my woodworking career, my woodworking endeavors, more like it, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and torture. Debacle. Uh, what, I, I used to purchase uh, lumber <laughs> from the uh, the mill, and I had them actually joint and plane it for me. So when it came in, it was beautifully flat. Um, And and then I would put it up in my rack, and then a year later when I go to use it, I'm like, why is this now got some cup in it? This doesn't make right. any sense. But as soon as I would kind of like you mentioned, the the quickest way to start getting it flat it would cut it. Something I'm like, oh, hey, what happened to that bow that was in here? That's weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: Cool. All right, Matt. Yep. Yeah.
2: Okay. So this next one came in from Darth Rust. Darth Rust. <laughs> uh, from touching up planes to flattening chisels, now that I've got a, gr- a better grip on how to do it and my preferences have evolved, it seems like my stones need flattening after one or two tools are run across them. I'm getting the Rorschach patterns and the swarf and pencil hash marks, and a quick swipe of the diamond plate confirms that shallows are showing up rather quickly. I don't know if it's severe enough to matter, but it is noticeable. So the question is, with proper technique, which I may or may not have, what's a reasonable expectation on needing to reflatten and what are the symptoms? Uh, Just for information, uh, Darth Russ saying he's using uh, Shapton stones flattened by a DMT plate, if that matters. So the Shapton stones, um, these are supposed to actually not need to be uh, flattened nearly as often as regular, more traditional water stones. So let's do this. Let's start with the traditional water stones. The ones that I have used in the past, which were king water stones, if I remember correctly, uh, when I would use them, as soon as I honed uh, one or two blades, and I went to put them away. That's when I would always flatten them. And depending on the, it would typically the higher grits, so like my four thousand and my eight thousand. I almost always, inevitably, would reflatten them after that. That simple use. If it was just one or two blades, I would just do a, a quick re-flattening of those every single time, uh, at, regardless of whether they actually needed it or not. With the lower grit ones, I would just simply take a reliable straight edge that I have and I would wipe all that swarf and the the water off and I would put that straight edge up. And if I noticed a belly starting to form, because I would always check the length and then I would hold it up and check two or three spots across the width. And if I noticed a belly in those, then I would immediately sharpen it. Now for the Shaptons, for, I have a 1,000 and a 4,000 stone. I still will do the same exact thing at the end of both of their use. I'll take that straight edge and I'll look. And short of there being an extremely noticeable belly, I usually end up just putting those away until I absolutely need it. So if you feel like your Shapton stones are needing to be flattened that frequently because there is such a noticeable belly in there, Um, It sounds like maybe you have some crappy Shapton stones, to be quite honest with you. (laughs) Uh, But for more traditional water stones, I I think it's good practice actually after every use to just go ahead and flatten those before you put them away. It's one of those things that you'll be surprised that if you didn't and then you break them out, suddenly uh, you'll go to use them and and there will be a a really bad belly in there. And the effect that you'll notice on your plane blades is – Well, I I think especially if it's in the center, you'll get like a little bit of a crowning, which can be a good thing, but it just makes it difficult to sharpen. You'll have a weird pattern on your blades.
1: Yeah, you know, the Shaptons are so pretty in their, their color. That you, you don't want them to be dirty anyway, so I find that I'm just tempted to clean them so that they look nice and fresh and ready to go. So every time when I'm done with them, I go over to the sink, I just rub them over the, the diamond plate, which flattens them, but it also gets them nice and clean. You know, yes. So it's serving two purposes. Well, and, and something that
3: not a lot of people talk about is sharpening, I think, is a very visual thing. Um, being able to see the the pattern that the blade creates as you drag it across the stone can Mm -hmm. really help you, you know, am I getting full coverage in that blade? If you're removing the burr off the back, especially when you get into the higher grit stones where that burr is really small, Mm -hmm. if your stone has been flattened and clean, you can actually see that little dark line as the burr comes off the blade, whereas you might not have been able to feel it. You might not know it's there, but you can see it. Um, This is really big when I I sharpen without a jig by hand. I need to be able to see that I've got even pressure on that blade. Um, So I'm constantly flattening my stones, mainly just so that I can see the swarf pattern I'm creating.
2: That's a great point because I was just doing that. It literally before we uh, came on to start recording, I was downstairs touching up a blade. And that was one of the things I noticed was there was that swarf pattern right along the whole entire length of it. I'm like, I wow, I'm awesome. Look at that. That's just <laughs> – that's fantastic. <laughs> you run upstairs. Look, honey, look what I did. Yeah, yeah and I'm, I'm, I'm by myself because they're like, oh, God, he's sharpening. He's going to want to show us something again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's so very interesting, honey. Not really. <laughs> All right, well, if you want to support our show, there's a couple ways you could do that. You could help us out with a donation, a small one-time donation or recurring donation at woodtalkshow.com. Right-hand column, links, click them. We appreciate it. Also, go to twwstore.com uh, and check out our Wood Talk t-shirts if you want to support the logo and support the cause at the same time. And if you want to, head to the giveaway page, woodtalkshow.com slash giveaway, where you could win a couple of cool things. We'll have a winner announced. Uh, maybe not next show. I don't know. Maybe the one after that. I have to look at the calendar. Uh, also, you could go to iTunes and leave us a review. Uh, just look us up in the iTunes store, click on ratings and reviews, and give us a sweet, sweet five-star rating, just like DKL Burn Two, who had this to say: "If I could find it, there it is. Uh, fun, informative, and a lot of great banter between three guys who love what they're doing. What more could you ask for? I look forward to each episode and love that it's coming out more often now. So, yeah, good stuff." Nice. I think
2: there's some other things I I could ask for, but I'm not going to right now because that would just seem very jerky.
1: There's always something more you could ask for. Absolutely. All right, Matt. How about you give them the contact info and we'll get out of here.
2: Well, you know something we've always asked for? It's for comments, questions, suggestions. So if Money, you have a uh, topic idea, maybe you have several different ways to contact us. Leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is WoodTalkOnline. Call our voicemail line, just like our two voicemail listeners did today, or actually talkers. They're not listeners. They probably are listening themselves. We are listening to them now, so maybe they're listening to themselves. Anyways, you can leave that voicemail line at 623-242-5180. In case you're confused, like Shannon, I'll repeat it again. 623-242-5180. Email us at kickback at woodtalkshow.com or leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page. And if you're looking for the show notes or downloads from today's shows or previous episodes, you'll find those over at woodtalkshow.com. And just a reminder, if you are looking for topics that have been rehashed over and over and over online, you can find those at our three websites. There's Mark over at thewoodwhisperer.com. There is Shannon over at renaissancewoodworker.com. And there's Matt over at matsbasementworkshop.com where there's probably topics, if you search, that all three of us have talked about and we try to time those so it
1: looks like we're actually talking differently. wonder different if we times. contradict each other while we're at it. My favorite is
2: always when we have a contradiction on the show of a topic that somebody forgot to remove from the scrap pile. That's awesome. What? <laughs> uh, Didn't happen in this episode, just for clarification.
1: Okay, okay. <laughs> That's because
2: I went and deleted a
3: bunch out of the scrap pile today.
1: <laughs> All right, well, inside baseball for everyone. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you next time. Watch out. See ya.